Well, welcome everybody to Rise Church. So glad that you're with us today. My name is Aaron. I'm the senior pastor on behalf of my wife, Erica, and all of our staff and pastors. We're so glad that you're with us today, especially here with us for the very first time. Hey, if you're a guest with us, we're so happy that you're here, whether you're watching online or you're in person. Uh, we, we honor you. We're so glad that you took a chance to come check us out. Uh, we hope you can come back. Uh, we always invite our guests to come back at least three times. Everybody say three times. Here's why is I know that when you go to a new place, you don't always get the best experience on the first experience. So my hope is that you would come back and, and check us out. You're Actually, if you are a guest with us, you're, you're in a great season of our church. We're starting a brand new series today called Vision. And uh, we're going to talk about what, our God, what God's doing inside of this church and what we're about and why we do things and our strategy. It's going to be a great, great season. So make sure you're here for at least three weeks, if not hopefully all four weeks of this Vision series. If you're watching online, we're so glad that you're with us. Uh, I want to mention to you, we are meeting in person right now. Come on, everybody, make some noise. Let Everybody know you're here, and uh, yeah, it's been great, and so highly encourage you if you can, and you feel safe, and you feel obligated, come on, come out, we, we have space for you, we love for you to join us, we have more and more people come every weekend. If you are watching online, like, comment, or share, or leave a message uh, on there, it helps us get through the uh, kind of social media algorithms so that people can hear the message of Jesus Christ. Again, we are starting a new series today called Vision, everybody shout Vision. Vision. And uh, we're going to talk about what God's doing specifically here at this church. And here's why, is that God wants us to know that he's, he's doing something here. Uh, in fact, Proverbs has a great, this is going to be a great verse in scripture that we're going to use all throughout the series for the next four weeks. And uh, Proverbs is a great book. It's called A Book of Wisdom Inside the Bible. And he says it in verse 18, it says, if people can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. You've noticed this, that man, when you don't know where you're going, how many of y'all know, like if you ever walked somewhere, you didn't look where you were going, it's easy to run into something, huh? Right? It's the same thing with God and his vision. But he says, but when they attend to what, they re what he reveals, or other translations say, when they see what God is doing. Everybody say that. Everybody say, when they see what God is doing, when they see that, when they know, and we know and know exactly where God's leading us, man, we can be really, really blessed. And so in summary for us, we need to know what God is doing, that God is up to something, and we need to know what he's doing. We need to know that in our personal life. We need to know that corporately as a church. And you and I have an opportunity to step into what God is doing for the future, not just in our personal life, but corporately here at our church. And I'm excited to talk about today that today. And so before we get started, let's pray and we'll just invite God in this place. God, we thank you, Lord, for this moment. Lord, I know today you have a word for us. Although I prepared notes, truly you've prepared notes for us personally. Holy Spirit, I pray that today you would do something. You would do something special inside this place. May my words be clear, God. May our hearts be open and our minds be ready to hear your word in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. Um, I have a problem. I'm going to have like a little, can I, if I can, I'm going to have a pastoral confession moment. Is that okay? Can we just have like a, like a moment? You're like, anytime your pastor says that, you don't know what's going to happen, right? I'm a little competitive. Anybody got a problem like me? Anybody else? Raise your hand so I don't feel like I'm alone. Come on, somebody. Say, you just speak the truth, shame the devil. Some of y'all need to be raising your hand right now. <laughs> All right, good. All right. Um, well, I'm a little competitive, right? I got issues with competition, you know, and I think that's, you know, isn't that funny how when people say something negative about themselves and they always follow it up with, well, that's just the way God made me, right? You know, like that's some reason that you can just continue on in bad behavior. That's not true. And so uh, I have some parts of my life that need to be redeemed, and that is the competitive nature that I have. I'll give you an example. Recently, I was almost thrown out of my nine-year-old's uh, Little League baseball game, and, you know, like, you know, because here's my problem, guys. Rules are rules. Right is right, and wrong is wrong, you know, and at some point, these kids might be in the major leagues, and I want to make sure that they're prepared for that. And, um, you know, my wife told me later as I was sitting down and told her the story of, you know, how the umpire asked me to please stay in the dugout and do not step one more foot out of it. Um, 
He told me, he said, you know, I, my wife, I said, I kind of told her the story, and, and I could tell you the story, but let's just be honest. They were wrong, and I was right, and that's the bottom line. And she told me, she said, honey, she said this statement. It was funny because she kind of says it because I'm a little like this. You know, I get into situations where I feel like I need to win or I need to be right, right? Anybody else like me? And, and, and I feel like if you cut me off, the only natural thing for anybody else to do is to cut them off. Or, you know, if I'm in H-E-B, you know, grocery aisle and I'm reaching for the rice as they're reaching for the rice it's there is naturally a race to see who gets the rice first and so yeah, I got a lot of areas in my life that I'm trying to work on y'all just need to pray for your pastor this is not a perfect church and if that's what you're looking for you just ruined it because you walked into it so I'm just telling you <laughs> there's a lot of issues that this church is working on and pastor's one of them but she told me this statement about my life she said this and it was so good she goes Heron you could have lost sight on what the real win is she said you could have lost sight of what the real win is. And that's the truth about life, isn't it? Like the truth about life is that you and I can get into situations where we, we maybe let our emotions get the best of us or we, we let our, our, our preference get the best of us or what we want to get the best of us. And what happens is, is we wind up making decisions that don't reflect the heart of God. And we forget the real win in the situation. In fact, D.L. Moody said it like this. this is a great quote. He said, the, um, for our greatest fear should not be of failure at something, but, but of succeeding at something that doesn't really matter. And that honestly, at the end of the day, that there are many churches and many Christians, many people who live their life right now winning at things that don't really matter, trying to succeed at things that, that don't really matter, trying to accomplish vision that doesn't really matter or that is not biblical and under God and what he's trying to do or accomplish inside of what I call the, the local church. And for us as a church, we have a win here. There's a win for us as an organization corporately, and I'm going to get to share with you over the next four weeks what the actual win is for our church, because I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but the world has not gotten better. It's gotten worse. And the, and the God who we serve knew that was going to happen and placed us in just this time, in just this place, in just this moment, at just this church, with you just in the family that you got, you're like, no, I, I wish I could trade them. No, I get it. But you're in the right place at the right time to do something great for God. And I know a lot of people are nervous and scared about what could happen, but I'm not nervous and scared about what God's going to do in the next future. I'm excited. And I don't know if you, the COVID didn't kill the church. Like, they I, I, didn't. Like, we're still here. God's still doing something. There's still vision here. I didn't stop dreaming. I dreamed bigger. I, there wasn't things that where we kind of came up to the lines are like, well, I don't know what's going to happen. No, no, I know exactly what's going to happen. The enemy tried to do what he always tries to do. And then he, what inevitably is going to happen, he's going to lose because that's what he does. And the game is fixed. And I don't know if you read the end of the book. I did it for you and for me. We win. So, like, it's all good, right? So for us, I just want you to know what we're going to win at. I want you to know what we're trying to do. In fact, I want you to know what God's doing inside of his church, because this isn't my church and you're not my people. This is God's church. You're God's people. There is no such thing as a pastoral vision for the church. I don't have a vision for this church. God has a vision for this church, and I'm a steward of God's vision for the church. You see the difference? And anytime a man comes in or a leader comes in and tries to take over and lead in his way or lead in his preference, it doesn't ever work out. Why? Because it wasn't his to begin with. So God's in here. This is God's church, God's vision. I'm stewarding what he's doing, and I'm going to show you right now exactly how God builds people. He has a way. God has a vision. I'm going to show it to you. It's found in Exodus chapter number 6. Now, it's not only in chapter, number, or in chapter 6, verse 6, but 
it's all throughout the Bible. This is just the first time we see it, and it's in the story of the Israelite people, the children of Israel, uh, being released from slavery under Pharaoh in Egypt and going into the promised land, okay? Now, even if you're not a Christian online, you're watching your stuff, you still kind of know a little bit about the story. You've probably seen this movie with Charlton Heston as Moses, right? And he has his famous statement. He walks up there and he says, let my what? Come on, y'all know. Let my people go. Yeah, y'all know. See, you don't even have to be Christian to know that. So now he knows. He walks up to Pharaoh. And so in the context of what's about to happen, Pharaoh's frustrated because he's talking to him and saying, you were supposed to let my people go. Pharaoh doesn't do it. He goes back to God and says, God, we had a conversation, you and I. We had an agreement. I was supposed to go tell him. He was supposed to let him go. And then you were supposed to be glorified. Well, I went and told him, and he didn't let him go. And now your people are mad. And upset. In fact, the Bible talks about that the, the people of Israel cried out to God to release them and redeem them and free them. And this is God's response to Moses' complaints, okay? Because <laughs> you and I, we're like Moses, you know, or maybe you're not, but I am. I complain to God when God doesn't do what I asked him to do. That's what he says. So this is therefore, this is God saying, he says, say to the Israelites, this is God speaking to Moses, I'm under, I am the Lord, and this is what he's going to do. So I'm going to bring you out. From under the yoke of the Egyptians, I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and mighty acts of judgment. Verse 7, he says, then, this is good, I will take you as my own people, and then this is what's going to happen. You are gonna, I'm going to be your God, and then you will know that I am the Lord your God, who brought you out from the, under the yoke of the Egyptians. God highlights for us, for the first time in Scripture, but not only in Scripture, all throughout the Bible, you see God redeeming and helping people grow people, help God grow people, His vision for people, and therefore the church, how He grows people step by step through four promises inside of His Word. The four promises are simply this. He says, first, I'm going to uh, bring you out. He says, in Scripture, I'm going to first do that. Then I'm going to free you from bringing sl- bring slaves to them. He says, so I'm going to free you, and then I'm going to free you again, and it sounds ridiculous but it's not. I'm going to explain that to you next week. I'll be here next week. Teaser. So anyway, number three says, I'm going to redeem you. The third promise, I'm going to redeem you with an outstretched arm. And then number four, I'm going to take you. I'm going to take you as my my own people. Like there's four promises that God shows and reveals to the children of Israel. Now you and I know this, but he, he, he winds up doing that. They make it to their promised land and he delivers them. And the Israelite people, the Jewish people, the Hebrew people still to this day in the Passover celebration, they celebrate and commemorate these four promises with four cups that they drink, four cups of wine that they celebrate at the Passover. And you know how like we take communion and we take one cup. Actually, if you go back and read scripture, you'll see multiple cups that Jesus actually took. And so it kind of seems confusing because we only take one. You know, we do the juice every first week of the month here in communion. There's actually four and they celebrate. Come on. How many of y'all sound like Christianity sounds a lot better? Like four cups of wine. Let's go. I'm trying. I'll sign me up. Okay. So like, but they, they do that every year. The Hebrew people, they, they drink four cups of wine to remember the four promises of God. This is what they were called. They call them. They won, the first one is the cup of sanctification. Again, you move from being dead to life, right? Dark to light. That they move you out from being a slave to now you are free from your slave master sin. So they drink the cup of sanctification. Then they go to the cup of deliverance. So they say, all right, now that we got you out of Egypt, now we're going to get Egypt out of you. Now you're going to be free, truly free. So they celebrate that. Then they move on to the cup of redemption. They do this every four, every, every year. They do this. They drink these four. They now move from now you were now, now that you're free, we're going to restore your purpose in life. We're going to restore you back to God's original intent. 
which was good. And then you're going to drink the last cup of praise because at that point, y'all just worship. You're praising because it's the fourth cup. You're just having a good old time. So they're having a cup of praise. And what they're doing is they're celebrating that you are now no longer a slave. You're a part of a family. You're not a servant. You're a son. And you celebrate it because of all that God has done. Now, this is important because that's the same way God redeems and celebrates and helps grow and take steps with people in the local church. You see this in Ephesians when Paul writes to a letter from the from himself to the church at Ephesus. He's trying to tell them, this is what my prayer is for you. And it's going to sound really familiar. We'll read it together. He says, I keep asking that God, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious father may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Here's why I want you to have the spirit of wisdom and revelation. It's because I want you to know him better. Step one, cup of sanctification. He wants you to go from dead to light. Come on. Number two, he says, I pray that your eyes of your heart may be enlightened. So now that you've been free, we're going to really free you up. We're going to get rid of your, 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 your past so that you can settle and move on to your future in order that you may know the hope of which he has called you. Everybody say called. This is so good. This is Y'all want to have Bible study? We're having Bible study right now. So called, that you have a calling, that you have a purpose. You were made on purpose for a purpose. Somebody say yes. You, you, that's what you're not an accident that God created you. And that's a cup of redemption that God redeemed you. He took what the enemy meant for harm. What he tried to do and kill you, he, it didn't work because God was on your side and he redeemed you. And now that, that you get into that, the riches of his glorious inheritance of whose people? His holy people. His God, like you're now God's the cup of praise. Do you see the four steps? He says, God, God's trying to help move people from being lost. We say it like this at the church, just so you know, this is the language we use. We want to see lost people. Come on. We want to see lost people freed. OK, OK, like like we want to get you to your step. We're going to we're going to show it to you want lost people saved. And then we want to get saved people freed. And then we want to get freed people trained. And then we want to get trained people mobilized. That you and I, look, we don't do church so you can come in here and, 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 get, and, and, and have a good old time and sit and chill out and holy high five somebody and pretend like it's all good. We, we, want, we have a purpose in here that God has a purpose with your life. He wants to move you from step to step to step. That's our vision. We want to help people take a step in their personal journey with God. Yeah. Yeah. That you and I are all on a journey. That we've been all called to take a step with Christ. So our job as a church, my job as a leader, is to help you take that step by creating an organization that helps you take those steps. That helps the world take their steps to their own promised land. We use our vision. That's how where we got our vision for the church. That the church's vision wasn't something I thought up of and thought it was like a cool idea. And I'm like, I'm going to write this stuff down. It, it, it's God's idea. Because it's God's church and it's his vision. So we, we, we have those four steps labeled as know God. We want people to know God. We want people to go from death to life. We want them to be sanctified. We want them to move from, from, not, from, from being a slave to being a son. Then, then we want them to find freedom because we know you can't get to your future until you deal with your past. And then once you're done with that step, we want to move to the next step. We want you to discover your purpose, that you were made on purpose for a purpose, that you are not an accident. And that you have a design, a unique way. You have a gifting inside of you. And it's a gifting because it's not yours. Sorry. And then number four, after you've figured out what you're called to do, then, then, then 
you can start making a difference. Do you see the vision? Do you see the step? And here's what's cool about the last one. As soon as that's done, you start helping people do that. And then the cycle continues. Why does that happen? Because that's how God grows people. The four promises of God. We have a, a, a table that, that we're going to show all throughout this series over the next four weeks just to kind of give context and clarity. And um, this is really good for us. And we're going to focus on step one today of really what it was. Again, the verse was, I'm going to bring you out. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, you're going to go from a slave to a son. And that cup that they celebrate is the cup of sanctification because that's how God does with our spirit. He brings us from, from slavery to, to sonship. And, and then our language we use here is we're going to get lost people saved. We want to get lost people saved. That's the first step for everyone. And then rise at rise, our step for that is we want you to know God. That's our vision. That's what we want happening. And then the strategy we're going to focus on today is how do we accomplish? Because there's nothing wrong with having a vision. But have you ever seen the vision and it was never accomplished? You got to have a strategy to the vision. There's a lot of vision statements on the wall of great companies, or actually not not so great companies, and they don't do much for anything because they don't actually have a strategy to accomplish their vision. And so we have a vision here, but we also have a strategy to accomplish that. And we're going to focus on the rest of the time I have left. I'm going to focus on what this means for us because how we help people accomplish step one on knowing God is our weekend service, is our weekend service. So how, how do we do that? Studies show, now I, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, a, uh, I'm a kind of a, a studier of church history and, and research on current trends and current things. I've been blessed to be a coach to many church planters currently and in ARC, which is our, our association of related churches, just kind of a little network that we're in. It's a church planning network that we help and you guys give to and help celebrate and grow life-giving churches all around the country. And so they've asked me to be part of a little bit of a leadership role in that. And so I'm able to help and see, and I study and I look and I'm trying to find, I'm always looking at how can we get more effective at reaching people as a church? Because it's important. And studies show that right now, currently in America, in the 21st century, in this context, in our world, San Antonio, Texas, the greatest opportunity for us, the greatest way for us to reach people and to get people to take that first step from not knowing God and not having a relationship with him and having a relationship with him and knowing him is the weekend service. Now, that's not the only time it happens because some of you got saved at a youth rally in a youth camp. Some of you got saved at a, at a Starbucks. You sat down with someone. They, saved the, they prayed the sinner's prayer with you. Some of y'all got saved online. You're watching some guy online, and they were preaching about it, and you had tears come down your face, and the Holy Spirit came in, and you had that moment with God. I'm not saying it doesn't happen anywhere else, but I am saying that the greatest opportunity, the widest gate, you sort of speak, is for people to come in on a weekend service in person at a local church, sit in the chair, hear the word of God, message, hear the word of God, have faith be rise up inside of them. Holy Spirit, have a moment with them. They give their life to Christ. That's a great opportunity that we have every weekend as a church. Now, because that's the greatest opportunity for us as a church, we have to be sold out on the weekend for people to know in God. And what I always laugh about, I've been in ministry for almost 20 years. This is the one step that everybody has a different opinion on. And I always laugh because I feel like if you would just go to the Bible and do an old fashioned Bible study like I did today, you'll see their strategy in the way that God grows people. Now, I didn't grow up in a church like that. I grew up in a church that tried to do all four steps on one moment on one Sunday. Anybody else? So they, what they designed, their design, their strategy was this. We don't got a strategy. Their strategy was hope. Their strategy was like, we hope that someone comes in and they get saved and then they get free and then they find their purpose 
And they make a difference. We want them to come in here, get saved, get baptized in the Holy Spirit, take communion, give all their money to charity, start tithing, then start moving towards like volunteering. And we want you to, oh, go serve in the parking lot and, and go help with some of the kids and go change your diaper and push a button on the computer. And we want you to do all of it. Oh, and start a small group and make sure that you, you know, you, you do the right thing and then know all of the Bible in Hebrew and Greek. And then you're in. And people show up and they're like, I don't even know what you're talking about. And they're like, no, no, you need to get the gifts of the Holy Spirit. They're like, holy what? They don't even know he exists, which, by the way, it's a he. It's not a spirit. It ain't a force. It ain't Star Wars. He's a he's he's a person and he's right here and he's with us. But he don't, you don't even know he exists, but you want them to know everything about you. See what I'm saying? That's a leap. There's no leaps of faith in the Bible, by the way. There's steps of faith. God grows people in steps. This is the first step for everyone. Because here's the funny thing about this is if you've been married, maybe you, you're not saved or you've been saved since Abraham was on this earth. You don't even remember the last time you weren't saved. If that's you, there was a time. Let me remind you. There was a time where you didn't know God. We're not born saved. And if you need me to prove it to you, have a baby. And they'll turn two. And you'll realize there's no God in them. This is this child, my child. I don't understand. Who are you? We're not born saved. We have to make a decision. It's a decision. It's a personal decision to follow Jesus. There was a time you didn't know God and you had to make a decision to follow God. And someone created an opportunity for you to do that. And I find it frustrating for me as a pastor that we as Christians, that the, there was a moment when you didn't know that. And so there was somebody who created an atmosphere and you walked in and you created, uh, you had a moment with God and you gave your life to him. And then all of a sudden you're, you, you, you're what was an open faced to the world, your open arms to the world became a back to the world because you, you, you forgot what it was all about. And, and there are churches right now that are too concerned with their holy huddles and making sure our country club doesn't let the outsiders in. We forgot that it was a hospital for people to come in that are hurting. And you're, you're frustrated that there are a bunch of people who don't know God keep coming to the church. Good. That's the point. So the weekend, because it's strategically the best way and opportunity for us to get people to know God, we got to be sold out as an organization, as a family, to be a life-giving church. Now, I define a life-giving church as simply this. Life-giving church is a worship experience that both unchurched and believers love to attend. It is possible. Now, I grew up in a church where they didn't care about other people or the people who didn't know God. They just cared about the people who did. They were believers, church. You walked in, you had to, and they, you, you could really know about it because they spoke in different words and different languages. They had different experiences. You had people running around. There were flags going on. We didn't know what was happening. All of a sudden, we knew God was angry. We, we, was, we for sure knew there was a hell. We were kind of sure there was a heaven. And, and, and they used crazy words, and they had, everything was ended with TH. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Everything King Jimmy had the lock on the Bible. And so it was you with, thou with, not if, Kenneth cometh, heareth, if you don't, it sinneth, if, if. And we'll test you. 
Or you have the other side, the other ditch of it, where you walk into churches and they're more like nightclubs and not, they don't teach the Bible and they teach help, help. And so you don't hear a scripture ever, but you think it's a scripture, but you're pretty sure it's a scripture, but you, could you tell me where that was? And the pastor don't know. So, so I'm, I'm saying there are two ditches of both sides. We want to be not in the ditch. We want to be on the road and we want to be able to be a Bible believing, life giving, spirit filled church so that somebody can come in here and know God, not so you can feel holy. And if you want that church, I'm just trying to be upfront and honest with you. You're not going to like it here. You're just not. I want you to find a church that you can get connected to. But I tell people all the time, there are all kinds of churches for all kinds of people. We're not the only church. This isn't God's only vision. This is just a vision for this church. We're white hot about it and it's not going to change. Because we're committed to what God's trying to do. I believe in how he grows. He grows people. And life-giving churches. I funny. I find it when I talk to people. I ask them, "Why do you like the church? You know, why, why do you come back?" Or ask guests, and you know, they never say my preaching, which is not. It's okay. <laughs> I mean, whatever. Um, I'm not hurt about it or nothing. But you know, they never say <laughs> my preaching. They, you know what they say? They said, "Pastor, we felt at home. We just felt like like I I, I love it. They always, almost always say." Like I took a breath of fresh air. They felt life. Because that's what Jesus came to bring is life and life to the what? To the, to the fullest. So if we're going to do that, if we're going to create life-giving churches to take those steps, then, then we got to know how to do that. What are the elements of the, as I wrap up today, elements of a life-giving church experience. How do we do that? How do we create that? What's our strategy for that? Number one is this. Um, we, we, experiences should be authentic. Experiences should be authentic. The church that 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 faked it till they made it you know what i'm saying those churches are done it's like the churches that celebrated the culture where like if your life is in shambles and you show up and someone asks you how you're doing and you had you there's no way you could share that because you get criticized and they'd kick you out and they say you had no faith those 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 days are over they weren't even biblical by the way because God wants you to be vulnerable and real. Because when you get it out of you, come on, when you express it, we'll talk about it next week. There's a part of healing that comes from expressing it to others and getting it out. The blessed and highly favored days are done. Your life is in shambles and they ask you, how you doing? Blessed and highly favored. No, you're not. You're messed up. You're just trying to keep the country club flowing. You're in trouble. This is a hospital. Tell us what's wrong so we can help. So we can point you to the great physician. Because that's why we're all here. The, the funny thing about it is, is that everyone knows you're messed up except for you. It's only a surprise to you. And so if there's, things aren't going, you, we got to be authentic. We got to be real. I like what scripture says in Romans, Paul talking to the church. Don't just pretend. Stop faking it. Stop acting like it's all good. Really? Love them. Like, hate what is wrong and hold tightly to what is good. Be authentic. We should create experiences where people can come in and be vulnerable, can be real, can share their ups and their downs, their wins and their losses. Where you could come in here and cry and not feel judged. No, you don't have it all together. No, it's okay to not be okay. It's just not okay to stay there. 
So for us, that's what we want to do. We want to be authentic. I, even my, one of my pastors, he tells me all the time, preach from the, preach from the valley, not the mountaintop. Don't have the pastoral veil. Anybody remember that? Your pastor was untouchable. You didn't even know he was there. He was, you couldn't get around him. I, there's a reason why I shake everybody's hand out in the front. You need to know there's a pastor here. There's someone standing at the gate here trying to hold it up here. God's doing a work here. He ain't dead. God's alive. The church is alive. We're here. We'll be real so that we can get people to know God. Number two is this. Experiences should be relevant. They should make it make sense. Come on. Like, that's a good thing when the church makes sense, when the messages make sense, when the Bible makes sense, when the preacher makes some sense. Right? Scripture says it like this. He says in, in Corinthians, this is Paul again writing another letter to the church. He's saying, when I am with those who are weak, I, I share in their weakness. I'm, in another translation, I'm weak to those who are weak. I'm strong to those who are strong, for I want to bring the weak to Christ. Yes, I try to find common ground. Everybody say common ground. Like we got to find something in common. We want to be relevant. We want to do everything that we can do to, so we, somebody can get saved. Somebody can know God. Like, this book is absolutely relevant, but I can make it so irrelevant, you won't even understand it. It's real easy to take the simple and make it complicated. I can make myself look really smart up here, start talking, you know, I can, I, it's easy. It's hard to make the complicated simple. I, I, that's why we bring context of what's going on. We don't just read scriptures. We give you the background. We give you the foreground. We want you to know what's happening in that situation. We want to have a, a church that can be relevant, which means we want it to actually make sense to those who know God and those who don't. I like we liken to it like a pool. Have you ever been to the pools that have that that really cool zero entry? You know what I'm talking about? It's like it goes from like. Um, no inches and no water to like a little bit of water and a little bit of water. It's like a like a like a um, a beach, like a beach entry. You know, they call it a zero entry. And then on the other side of the pool, you have like the ten foot dive pool part. You know, those are the best pools. You want to know why? Because everybody can experience the pool. Yeah. Yeah. Have you ever noticed who's at the zero entry part of the pool? It's not typically thirty year old dudes. be kind of weird it's typically babies kids right but they're 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 over there <laughs> old people <laughs> she shouted out. i didn't say that um i just want to make sure the recording knows that was not me okay so um it could be true so uh but it's like okay so you're but they're 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 the kids you know because you know what they do i don't know if you ever watched them this is so this is really if you ever watch them they go like this <laughs> and they go out and they smile. I have a lot of kids. I, like, I have like a thousand children. And so every time I bring them to the pool, and they, they go and they dip their toes in again, and they jump back out. And then you know what they do? Then they go a little deeper next time. You know what I'm talking about? Like they jump in a little bit more, and then they're at their ankles, and then they come back out. And then before you know it, they're at their knees. And then before you know it, they're at their waist, right? And then before you know it, they're bobbing in, they're jumping in, and they're splashing, and they go like this, and they, they play with it. And you know what's funny is I don't, while I'm in the 10-foot side of the pool, I don't go, you're not doing it right. Just jump in the water. What's wrong with you? You know what we do with the babies? We go, that's so good. Are you having fun? Like, come on. The 
water's great. Keep trying it. Keep going. Isn't that what we do, right? Come on, you're doing great. And they fall over, and you go, you're doing great. Just stand back up. It's okay. Splash the water. How come we don't do that in church? We've got a whole lot of people up in the deep end. They always say, Pastor, talk deep. I'm like, you couldn't handle it if I gave it to you. Hush. Hush. You know, zip it. And, and you need to go deep so that they can go deep. Hold on. They're babies. Hold on. Hold on. What's the weekend about? Your spiritual experience or somebody moving from death to life? I hear it like this. People come in, they go all the time. And I'm making all the religious people mad. That's okay. And they, they, they come in and go, Pastor, it's time for you to feed me. I'm like, if this is the only time you're eating, you're you, you unhealthy. <laughs> Could you imagine that? Imagine that real quick. Say you ate one meal right now, yeah, food, and then you didn't eat until next Sunday. Do you think you'd be a nice person? Do you think you'd be healthy? There's a lot of ang- angry Christians in the world because they don't eat regularly. And then they blame the pastor in the church. They say, we're not relevant. You need to go deep. You're trying to have a buffet on Sunday. Just eat regularly out throughout the week. You should come in here full. If you're an adult, okay, so if you're not a Christian in here, this ain't for you. I'm going to get on the Christians right now. You ready? Here we go. If you're a Christian and you know God, don't come in here malnourished. Don't even come in here looking to get some food. You're going to get some anyway because you're going to be around. That's what's good about God. God's so good, he just fills up everybody's cup. But don't come in here with that. The church will sorely disappoint you every time. But if you come in looking to give some food, did you hear what Pastor said? How can I help you take that step? I got to go take that step myself. Let's take it together. Because if you're mature, you know what the mature people in the pool do? They help the other people who don't have fun and experience it better. You know, my kids have the best time is when they get on daddy's back. And then I take them around in the deep part and I show them what the pool could be. Let's be that in church. Let's be that in church. That's good. Thank you, Jesus. All right. <laughs> number three. Number three. I'm, I'm, I'm almost done. I know this is a little longer than normal, and I promise you, the people at Denny's, it's all good. So, um, but this is important because this is the part. This is the part most people have an issue with. They pick preference over people. The weekend service. I, I don't like it. I'm not used to it. I don't like how they do that. I don't like the way he dresses. I don't like how he talks. The music is not the way I like it. The lights are too bright. The lights are not bright enough. There's too much smoke. There's not enough smoke. The music is too loud. It's not loud enough. It's all preference. And you forget the people who are coming in here going, what's this? I hope God's not mad at me. I hope, he, I hope somebody doesn't know what I did last night. Will God love me even though I don't love me? You forgot all that because you were stuck in preference. Don't get me started. All right, I already. All right, number four. Number, uh, number three, uh, experiences should be enjoyable. They should be enjoyable. They should be enjoyable. Scripture says it like this. I was glad when they said it unto me. Everybody say glad. glad. Oh, come on, smile with me. Everybody just smile. Just look at me in my eyes right now. Everybody look at me and just smile. Come on, we're all just going to smile. We're going to do a smile wave. Ready? One, two, three. Just smile. Oh, come on. I'm just looking at everybody right now. Come on. There's like some of y'all in here haven't smiled in six months. Just smile. Show us your teeth. All right. There we go. Smile. The Bible says, I was glad when they said it unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. 
There, listen, listen. If you checked out, elbow somebody who just went asleep, wake them back up. Let me tell you this right now. There is nothing holy about creating worship experiences that are dead, lifeless, judgmental, angry, and depressing. Nothing holy about it. And there are some people in churches and pastors, I know them, they're some of my friends. I laugh at them all the time. We, I joke with them. I'm like, what are you so mad about? Romans. It's the goodness of God. It's the goodness of God. You forgot how good he is. You're so caught up in your religious custom. It's the goodness of God. Leads men to repentance. Churches should be enjoyable. People should walk in feeling life. And you satisfied a soapbox at the expense of someone's sanctification. And you thought if they were just good enough, God would love them. And you missed out that God already loved them. And if you just revealed his goodness, they start to be good. It's the goodness of God. They should be enjoyable. They should be entertaining. Just so you know, they should be entertaining. I hear people say that in a negative fashion for church. Like, we shouldn't be entertaining people. Do you know what entertainment means? The definition of entertainment entertainment literally means to keep one's attention. I want to keep your attention. Because I got something to say. Because I think this thing matters. I believe this Bible to be relevant. I believe it to be the word of God. I believe it has power for your life. So yes, I want to entertain you. Hashtag, deal with it. <laughs> Number four, experiences should be accepting. I'm hurrying here. They should be accepting. 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 I'll read it to you. This is what the Bible said. They, they asked the disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? They're, 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 they're frustrated. Do you know they? Like they is, oh, there's a they in this season of life. The Pharisees, there's they, there's always going to be a they. And you, what you have to ask yourself on a regular basis is, just so you know, it takes no courage to be a critic. Business owners know this because they deal with critics all the time. And so, critics of the vision of God sound similar to this. Why is he eating with tax collectors and sinners? Why is he eating with those people? They always use that word, those people. Jesus responds, he says, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I didn't come for the Christians. I came for the sinners. Do me a favor real quick. Just humor me if you can. I promise you, I'm close to being done. This is my second close. Close your eyes, just so you can't. We're not going to do anything to you, so, so it's all good, all right? Just heads up. You know, here, like, close your eyes, and then you get hit with, like, slime. That's not, it's not Nickelodeon. It's all good. 
No one's going to do anything. Just close your eyes. Help me. Humor me if you can. Everybody in here, close your eyes. I want you to do something real quick. This is going to be painful. I want you to think of the person that you don't like right now. I want you to get them in your mind. Get them in your heart. I want you to picture them. I want you to picture that person you hate, the person that hurt you the most, the person that offended you, the person that said something to you, the person that betrayed you, that stabbed you in the back, the person that caused you tears, the person that you only know about, God only knows about. I want you to pick that person. Pick them right now. Pick them. Pick them. Put them in your eyes. Put them in, put them in your head. Put them in your mind. I want you to think about that person, what they did to you. I want you to go there again, what they did to you, how they did it. Why would they ever do that? I want you to find that person. It could be the most hurtful thing in your life. Tell, I want you to pick that person. Okay, now open your eyes. Look at me. Jesus wants you to have a meal with them. Tax collectors and sinners were the uh, worst of the worst. They were betrayers of their own people, their own Jewish people. They would, they, would, they would betray their own people for their own personal gain. They were the worst. And Jesus was not just talking to them. He was having dinner with them, which, by the way, signified the highest level of honor whenever you sat down in the Hebrew culture and had a meal with someone. Jesus knew Judas would betray him. He sat Judas at the seat of honor at his last meal. It's, it's, it's easy to, to hear about it, and then you personalize it to that person who tried to hurt you and did hurt you and did offend you. Jesus wants you to have a meal with them. He wants you to accept it. He wants you to bring them into a relationship. Why? 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 Why does he want you to do that? Why does he want you to do that? Why does he want you to do that? He wants you to have the heart of God. That every person who's ever done anything wrong that you don't agree with, I'm going to go here, should be allowed to come into the church. So all those people that you don't like, all the Democrats, all the Republicans, all the conservatives, all those liberals, all those Dallas Cowboy fans, I'm just kidding, I'm just, all those non-Dallas Cowboy fans, all the Texans, right, all the ones, all the, come on, all the Californians come taking over our state, all of, come on, all the anti-everything and all the pro-everything, right, did I offend anybody else, did I miss anybody I could offend today, anybody else, okay, good, all right, good, Jesus wants you to have a meal with them. He wants you to create a home where they can come in here and go, so this is God. I was lost, and wait, you're telling me that God still loves me? That, that's, that's accepting. Different, huh? Yeah. Last one is this. Experiences should be powerful. Experiences should be powerful. Scripture says it like this. And the God who raised the Lord and will also raise you up will raise you by his power, by his power. This, this, this church is nothing if it doesn't have the power of God in it. It needs the power of God here. The Holy Spirit needs to move. It needs to, we're a spirit-filled church, y'all. This, no, this ain't a game. It's not a joke. I'm not messing around up here. There's people's lives hanging in the balance. Not just their mortal lives, their eternities. And so we got to walk in here with like a desire for God's power to move. Not a manipulated power for him to move. Do you see the difference? God did something like that one day 20 years ago at your old school church. You think that's the only way he moves. He moves all kinds of ways. 
His power is not limited to a methodology. Some people worship methodology and not ideology. I'm married to two things, Jesus and my wife. That's it. Everything else is up for debate. We might do things differently one day here. We should, I'll say like, we should do things differently one day for your kids. It'll be a different world. Stop downing methods. Stop worshiping methods. We worship God. And if we're going to be relevant, we need to be powerful, and God needs to be able to move any way he wants. I'm going to close with this. This is why it's so important. By, by the way, the summary of today is God wants me to know him so that I know my potential. God wants me to know him so that I know my potential. It matters that we do that this way, that we create an experience for life-giving, life-giving churches for people who don't know him to come in here because there are lost people in this world. There are lost people in this world. Uh, a few years ago, I was at Disney World, and um, I was walking around with my family. I got five young boys, and um, my son Riley... Um, is, is one of them. He's one of my oldest, and he was young enough to where he was kind of still, he's a little bit on the uh, on the spectrum of autism, a little bit, and um, he's a smart boy, but but he can't always communicate what he's thinking. It does not know how to re, uh, relate to people, especially if he got into a bad situation, and um, you know, as a dad, I have five kids. There's always a few that you worry about, if you're a parent, he's one of them. Now, we were walking, and, and he, was, he was with us, and we were counting our kids all the time, you know, when they're that many, you just count. And uh, we went into a store, we came out, and I counted, and I, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, and I was like, where's, where's, where's Riley? And then that, that pit in my stomach, parents, you know what I'm talking about? where you just, he's gone. Yeah, I found my wife, and she had already known for five minutes he was gone. You know, my moms always know. And I, I said, baby, Riley's gone. I remember thinking, you won't be able to tell people how to get home. What if somebody took him? And uh, he, he started running around, and I got to a, a store, and my son, my other son, runs up to me, and he goes, hey, Dad. And he screamed my name, and I thought he found Riley, and I rocked him. I said, did you find Riley? And he goes, he goes, no, can I, can I have an ice cream? And I said, son, no. I need to find your brother. And uh, I ran. And I was running around. I was asking people. And it, you know what's the worst is when you ask somebody who's, help, who's supposed to be like an official to help you. And I asked them. And they, they didn't. I think they kind of helped. But they, didn't have urge, they don't have urgency like a parent because it's not their kid. I'm running around, and my other kid comes up to me, runs up to me, dad, 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 yes, 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 son, son, can I go ride that ride? And I'm like, you're missing it. Your, your brother's gone. You know, I might not see him. And so I, I'm telling you, I looked up, and the crowd kind of parted a little bit. 
And I saw a shadow that looked like Riley. Y'all know your kids have shadows, right? They have a way. They have a shape. I call them a shape. I said, I think that's right. So I'm running. And I start, and I can y'all know how fast, how fast you think I ran, right? I was running over old people and kids. It didn't matter, you know. I'm like, Mickey, get out of the way. And so I'm like, I'm running, and I run up to him, and I get to close to him, and he turns around, and he had tears in his eyes. And he turns around and he saw when he saw his family, when he saw dad, his total demeanor changed. I got down on my knees and I hugged him. And I'll never forget what he said. He said, he said, again, remember, he can't really talk really well. He goes, Dad, you found me. He said, you found me. I think our church needs to remember that there are lost people who need to be found. And God is desperately, if you look at the Bible from cover to cover, he's running around trying to find them. Let's not be the kids that want to go have ice cream and want to go ride roller coasters while people are lost. Can we be a church that's committed on the weekend? This is just step one. So for all those of you who are like, well, what about discipleship? I'll get there, okay? I'll get there. But you can't get there until they know God. They can't get, they can't learn about God until they're part of a family, until they're found. Can we be a church that's not worried about us every time we come in the weekend and trying to find out what new flavor of ice cream that the pastor can give them? What about we come in here worried about the people who are lost in this world? If we do that, we can be committed to people knowing God. We can move on to the next step, which will be next week.